0: We're talking about the significance of having joy in your life, and I think everyone is probably interested in that. Now, as we talk often when we speak about joy, we want to differentiate the difference a little bit between happiness and joy. Sometimes they're confused. Um, Sometimes they're close to being one of the same, but oftentimes they're two different things. Happiness is something that comes and goes. You can be happy when you wake up and be sad by lunchtime. (laughs) You can be happy in one moment, sad in the next. In this service, you can be happy in one moment and sad in the next. I mean, happiness is really tied to your circumstance and how you think about your circumstance. Uh, In fact, the old English word that we actually get circumstance from is happenstance. In fact, if you have a copy of a King James version of the Bible, you can look back in the book of Ruth and in the book of Ruth, when Ruth went to the field that was owned by Boaz, there's this line, this verse that says, and it was her hap, H-A-P, to land on a field that belonged to Boaz. Now, the old, that, in that old English language, it meant that it was her good fortune. She had a good circumstance that landed her on this field that belonged to Boaz. So you, the, the idea of happiness comes from the idea if your happenstance is good, you're happy. If your happenstance is bad, you're unhappy. So if you have a good, happy, happy, a bad, happy, unhappy. So happenstance ties to circumstance, you have that? Joy is something you can have when you're unhappy. Joy is something you can have in the midst of a very difficult time in your life. Joy is a deep sense of knowing and that peace and assurance of having that you just know somehow or another God is on the throne All things are going to work out, and I can have the faith in him that things are going to get better. We're going to see better days. They're going to have better times. And so joy is very different in that joy is something you possess when you're unhappy. It is a constant that can always be in your life. Uh, In fact, in Charles Dickens' uh, uh, famous work, Tale of Two Cities, you remember that opening line? It was the, the, the best of times and the worst of times. And in reality, when you think about your life and mine, uh, we can have the best of times and the worst of times at the same time. I I promise you I could sit with you today and, and hear your story and you could tell me on one hand the burdens that you carry. And everybody in the room is carrying a burden. Everybody watching online, you have a burden of some sort. There's some area of your life that isn't going well, there's someone in your life that's creating some heartache There's something that you're facing in your life that you would describe as a burden. And yet I could talk to you a little longer and kind of get you over on the positive side, and you would also tell me about blessings that you have in your life. You would tell me about some precious people that are in your life. You would tell me about some special things that have happened in your life. And and I'm saying, guys, life is a mixed bag of blessings and burdens. And I'm convinced that's how you achieve balance in life. On one hand, there's a blessing, on the other hand, the burden. And I think through life, we're gonna go through life having these two things as constant companions. I don't think it's true that if you're spiritual, you never have burdens. I don't think if it's uh, true that if you're spiritual, it's all blessing. I think if you're spiritual or unspiritual, the reality of life is it's filled with blessings and burdens that it can be the good, uh, the best of times, it can be the worst of times, and all that can be going on at the same time. And so what I wanna to talk to you about is some principles that we can apply to our life that will give us a sense of joy regardless of what we're going through. Regardless of your circumstance this morning, you follow these principles, you find joy. Now last week, we talked to you a little bit about the great apostle Paul. This week, we're gonna pick up a little more and talk about Paul. In fact, as you saw on the roll end, this series is really based in the letter that he wrote just before his death. And the letter he writes just before his death, he, the theme of his letter is joy. I would encourage you to read the book of Philippians. You'll get more out of our study if you do. And if you read the book of Philippians, just four short chapters, what you'll find in it is time and time again, Paul says, have joy, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And again, he's not writing this letter from a condo on Maui. (laughs) He's writing this letter from a prison cell facing execution. Under the worst type of circumstance imaginable, life is almost over for him and his concern is that you have joy, that I find joy. In fact, let's look in chapter one of Philippians, look down in verse three, notice Paul's mindset. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You know, someone has well said, I learned this in Sunday school class, something stuck, right? When I was a little boy in Sunday school class, I had a teacher that said, boys and girls, the secret to joy, J-O-Y, is simply this, Jesus, others, and you. J-O-Y, Jesus, uh, that priority. And, And certainly this bears out with what Paul is writing about. Here he is in the midst of a difficult circumstance, and he's thinking about others. I thank God, Jesus, for you, others, And he said, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, with joy. He said, man, I'm not doing this begrudgingly. When I think of you, I don't feel it as an obligation. When I pray for you, I don't think it's a duty. He said, I'm doing this with joy uh, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He's thinking back of the memories he've made with the precious people that have been in his life, and he's confident of this very thing he who has begun the good work in you will complete it under the day of Jesus. Paul was acknowledging the fact that we are immortal until God is finished with us. He's saying God is going to complete this thing that he's working in our lives. He will finish what he started. And so in this chapter, Paul identifies Four reasons why he has joy in the midst of his circumstance. Let me give you reason one. Paul had found a perspective, a perspective to live from. He found a perspective to live from. Look in verse 12. But I would have you to know that the things which happened to me have turned out or fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul had a perspective. His perspective was, regardless of what has happened to me, I've allowed those things to fall out, I've let them go, so that the gospel would be the preeminent thing of my life. Paul had a different perspective on the problems he faced. In fact, the Apostle Paul knew God was in charge of everything. God is in control of everything. We use this word sovereignty to describe God. He's sovereign. He's Lord of all. He's Lord in all. He's Lord through all. (laughs) And Paul acknowledged the fact that that's my perspective. I, I understand that nothing can happen to me without, first of all, God either causing it or, second of all, God permitting it. When Jesus described us, he said, all the Father has given me are in my hand and no one can take them from my hand. Well, if you think about the metaphor of being in his hand, the only thing that can get to you first has to come through him. So he either causes it to happen or he permits it to happen. But Paul's perspective, when you read Romans 8:28, was all things that happen, good and bad, have a purpose and that God can take these things and ultimately make these things work out for our good and for his glory. That's a perspective. Man, when you think about how that perspective breaks down in my life and yours, that means everything we're going through this morning, the good, the bad, the happy, the sad, all the things we're going through this morning. If our perspective is like Paul's, we realize our heavenly Father's in control. He knows what he's doing. For some reason, he's either blessed me in this way or for some reason, he's allowed this burden to come into my life in this way, but he has a purpose for it, he has a plan in it, and I can trust him regardless of what I'm going through. I love what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's one of my life verses. He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart, go all in. In all your ways acknowledge him Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Now he didn't say you're not to have understanding. He said, be careful leaning too heavily on your own understanding, simply because you and I don't have all the facts. We don't know all that he's up to. We don't have the benefit of, of having that ability to see what's ahead. God can see that. We speak of him as being a providential God. The word providence comes from these words, provideo, means to see ahead. In other words, God has an ability to see ahead. I don't have that ability, neither do you. We see life a day at a time, moment at a time, frame at a time. That's why in the 119th Psalm, he said, God's word becomes a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. I don't know if you've ever walked to the barn or out in the pasture or walked down a dock carrying a lantern, <laughs> but you'll know if you've done that, it only lights a few steps in front of you. Well, that's what he said. I'm gonna give you enough light to see where to put the next steps. He didn't say your word is like a searchlight that'll shine way down the pathway and you can see a quarter of a mile. He said it's a lamp to my feet, a light to my path, meaning that God has an expectation that we depend upon him for every step of the journey. That's why the Psalmist said uh, in Psalm 37, the steps, the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord and he delights in their way. God orders the steps. Paul understood, God has a plan, he's ordered my steps. He's guiding me into this valley and he'll guide me through this valley. God has a reason for all things. And I'm saying, if you have that kind of perspective, out of that perspective, you can have joy. You can say, wow, I don't understand when this is gonna end or how it's gonna end, I just know that it will end. And in the midst of all that I'm going through right now, my perspective is God knows what he's doing and that brings me enormous joy. And so Paul had found this perspective that helped him really navigate through the difficulties of life. And I would challenge you guys, regardless of where you are or what you're going through, have a perspective, God knows who you are. He knows where you are. The God of heaven didn't just look down one day and discover you and say, what am I gonna do with that one? Where'd you come from? No, he, he's known about you. Uh, in fact, the Bible says he, he knew about you. Jeremiah said, even in the womb, when my parts were being woven together, when I was just being formed, God knew about me, and he had a purpose for my life. He didn't just discover you. And you can have a perspective that the God of heaven who knew me before I knew him, and who was aware of me before I've ever been aware of him, that he's got a, a, a purpose for my life. And he's doing something for me. And in the midst of this, doing things for me that I may not even understand, there can be joy. Here's what I found. When I know what God's up to, he's up to something. When I don't know what God's up to, he's still up to something. When I hear God speaking in my heart, I know that he's up to something. When I can't hear him speaking in my heart, I know he's still up to something. You ever get in a place in life where you feel like the heavens are silent and your prayers aren't getting above the ceiling fan? You feel like you're just bouncing the blades and falling right back down on death. Have you ever felt that way? Can I remind you that God did his greatest work in the silence of the cross. When the cross was silent and it felt like the father had turned his back on the son because Jesus had so completely become sin for us that a holy and righteous God could not look upon sin and had to turn his back. In the moment of silence, God was doing his deepest work of redemption. And I won't, hope I can encourage you to tell you in the moments when God seems silent in your life, have a different perspective and realize he hadn't forgotten you. He knows who you are. He knows what you're going through. When you pray, prayer is not making God aware. You're not catching him up. It's been a while, God, you got a minute? Let me catch you up. He's known where you are, he's followed your journey. In fact, I believe that so strongly for some of you, I don't think it's an accident you're in the room this morning. I believe the providence of God brought you to this room because he had something for you to hear. I talked to a wonderful man after our first service this morning, he pulled me aside. He just basically said, Bill, I've been a long way from God. A long way from God. And I just need to know, what's the journey back? How do I get back? I said, man, you're already on the road. You kidding me? The road's short. I said, when the prodigal, I told the man, when the prodigal's heart turned in the pig pen, that moment he had a connection to the Father. He didn't have to get to the front porch before he knew the love of the Father. When that boy's heart turned in the pig pen, he knew, Daddy's watching for me. He's waiting for me. And if I can get to him, he will not reject me. You just turn your heart toward your heavenly Father. He's been after you all along. He's been watching for you. You know what kept Paul full of joy? is the perspective that there's a God in heaven who's in control of everything that happens in my life. And as a result of that, he said, you know what I can do with some of this stuff? I can let it go. The things that have happened to me in that verse I read to you, he said, I've let them fall out. I talk to people, and I may be talking to some this morning that are carrying burdens God didn't design you to carry. Now, some burdens are necessary. In fact, in Hebrews, he says, I'll not put any burden on you that is not necessary. Some burdens are necessary, or you wouldn't carry it. But some burdens are unnecessary. We carry some things that God wants us to release. Some of the things is maybe the guilt of your past. Maybe it's the disappointment of your past. Maybe it's a betrayal. Some of us are carrying burdens God didn't design you to carry. Paul said one of the ways I've maintained the joy is my perspective in God that gives me the freedom to release these things, to let them go. Have you ever found yourself in a service like this when you feel like you finally released those burdens and you've let them go, but by the time you get to the car, or maybe by the time you start your week tomorrow, you feel like those things had a bungee cord tied to them. And all of a sudden you're tooling down the road and that which you left in the church house that Sunday, all of a sudden just slapped you in the backside. It's back, I'm back. Some things you have to let go every day when Jesus was talking to Simon Peter, he said seven times seven, you gotta let that thing go. I mean, that's just an infinite number of times. You let it go as often as you try to carry it. Let it go as often as you try to carry The minute you find yourself trying to pick that up, let that go, let it go. I mean, I, I, that's the secret to you, you won't carry joy in your life if you're carrying unnecessary burdens. Paul found a perspective to live by. Secondly, Paul found a priority a priority to live by. Look at verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in precept or in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. That's the priority, Jesus. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Paul said, man, the priority of my life is Jesus. It's all about him. I'm centered on him. (laughs) He keeps me balanced with the burdens on one hand, the blessings on the other hand, I keep walking and I walk by faith and I'm walking with Jesus. And man, as I, as I do that and make him the priority of my life, he brings joy into my life. So many people, it's easy to get your life out of balance. It really is. And when you get your life out of balance, and it really begins with your thinking, when you get your thinking out of balance, all of a sudden the joy becomes the first thing that goes out of your life, so you have to get your life back in balance, and one of the best ways to get your life in balance is evaluate your priorities. What are the priorities of your life? Now, if you've been coming here very long, you've heard me say you'll either live your life according to the priorities that you set, or you'll live it according to the pressure other people put on you. So if you don't live your life according to priority, if you don't decide who runs your life, somebody else will. (laughs) And somebody out there will make your life miserable. You'll end up trying to be a people pleaser and at the end of the day, you will have run around stomping out every little fire and lighting every little candle and you'll get home and you'll be the most miserable person in the world because you tried to please everybody. And God didn't design you to do that. You live your life according to, you're a limited resource. Have you ever thought about that? There's only so much of you. You only have so much money, you only have so much time. There's only so much of you, you can give to anybody. So in order to be wise in how I spend this limited resource, I gotta live according to priorities. I, 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 if I don't, then I'm gonna just respond to pressure. You're gonna be like the, the ball in the pinball machine, just playing off the flippers and the, you know, just bing, bing, bong, bing, bing, ding ding dong, dong. And when it's over, you're just uh, confused as a termite in a yo-yo. So what i tell you to do is establish some good biblical priorities. Let me give you five. Number one, your relationship to God. If you wanna know where to begin with the priority, start where the Bible started. In the beginning, God. Good place to start. I don't mean God in relationship to your religion or God in relationship to church. I just mean God in relationship to you. God, if you never go to church. God, if you're on a mountain. God, if you're out in the ocean. (laughs) Just you and God. Make sure he's the first person in your life. And then that relationship to God is defined through your faith in Jesus Christ meaning that I have placed my faith in my Lord and Savior, I know him in the free pardon of my sin, and as a result of that, I will not have any other gods before me. God is a jealous God. Um, that's, when he said, I'll have no other god." that means he didn't want anything else to take the place of him in our life. Can you imagine, let's say you're in a committed relationship or you're married to a girl, and she sees you talking to another girl and you're having a conversation and she picks up on it that maybe this is not the conversation you should be having with this other girl and so your wife or your significant other walks up to you and bust you on that conversation and you say to her honey i was only talking to her because she reminded me so much of you <laughs> how many women are buying that one <laughs> god said you shall have no other gods before me meaning I won't settle for the substitute. I want to be that one. I want to be the it one, uh, the it factor. I want to be that one in your life. And so you establish him. And then the second priority is your spouse. In the Bible, God established, you know, Adam and Eve, and he blessed their, their union. The two shall become one. You remember the verse? And so he blessed the marriage relationship. Third priority is children, your kids. Your kids ought to be a priority in your life. God blessed them with children, and children ought to be that priority. The fourth fourth priority is uh, the form of worship. Remember, they worship through the sacrificial system after sin entered the picture. God showed them a sacrifice. First murder in the Bible was um, Abel slew his, or Cain slew his brother Abel. Um, One was a blood sacrifice. One was a bloodless sacrifice. One brought of the fruit of the ground and you can't get blood out of a a turnip. So (laughs) God accepted one sacrifice, didn't accept the other. The first murder in the Bible was over a religious difference. You ever heard of that, thought of that? But the priority is worship. So I I would put uh, uh, church in that that priority. Um, You don't need church to go to heaven, but church will make you more effective here on earth. Um, you, you don't have to go home to be married. <laughs> but I highly recommend you start by the house every now and then. <laughs> so I'm just suggesting to you that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but you'll be a better one if you're here. But, but we need each other. Man, we're only here an hour. We got 168 hours out of the week. And if you're in town where you can be here, you ought to be here. COVID's over for the love of God. Quit saying, I we get Back when COVID's over. Oh my God. I'm, are you tired of hearing that one? Come up with another one. I've heard them all. The, that, that excuse is wearing a little thin. So if you see me at the grocery store and say, I broke my leg. Grandma died. I mean, give me something else other than COVID. I'm just saying we need each other. We need each other. People say, well, preacher, I just don't go to church anymore because of all the hypocrites. I like say, oh, come on, one more hypocrite ain't going to hurt anything. <laughs> I'm just saying we need each other. If nothing else, guys, when you come here, you realize I'm not that screwed up. That's something. You look around the room and go, oh, I'm feeling much better about me. <laughs> I'm just giving you some things to think about. I'm just saying we need each other. The fellowship we have, the encouragement, have, it's just good to hug somebody and shake a hand and see somebody, just see them in person. So, church. Then the fifth priority, as I understand scripture, there in Genesis is your work, your career. Um, you ought to put everything into what God has gifted you and designed you to do, uh, your, your job. God said to Adam and Eve, keep this place. Take care of this place. Somebody said, man, wouldn't it wouldn't be great if there, there were no sin, we wouldn't have to work. Well, you need to read Genesis because work was in, instituted before sin entered the picture. God said, take care of the garden before sin ever, enter, ever entered the picture in chapter three. Now, what, what sin did, it made work harder. You sweated the brow and the thorns and all that. So work was made more difficult because of sin. But I'm just saying, you, you need to work. Even folks in our church who are retired, they found other things to do to keep them busy, to keep them occupied. I mean, there's been uh, studies done by scientists, medical professionals who would tell you that if you stay busy, you stay healthier. So even once you've retired, you can get into something else and say, I just need to stay busy, I need my mind to stay busy, I need to keep working, maybe chasing grandkids, (laughs) but you need something to be doing. It's a priority. Now you can make number six, whatever you want, seven, eight, nine, but here's how that will help you. It will help you evaluate the decisions you make according to the grid that you've established your priorities. And if someone has an expectation of you that is gonna cause those priorities to be skewed, then you just use the power of no. Say, man, I can't get to that. I'm so sorry. I'd love to have time to do that. I just can't do that. I'm I'm really sorry. So no, I can't can't do that. I can't help you with that one. I can help you with something else because if I help you with that, it's gonna interfere with one of these other priorities. Paul found priorities to live by, brought him joy. Here's the third thing he found. He found a power to live on power to live on. Look at verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and note supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? Supply of the spirit. He's talking about the power of God at work in his life. Everything Paul needed, he found in Jesus. The power he needed, he found in Jesus. He found through the Holy Spirit. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be in shame, but with all boldness and always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body. I understand whether it's by life or death, he'll be magnified. What was the secret in the heart of that verse? He said, the supply of the Holy Spirit, I have found to rely on the power of God at work in me. So many Christians I run into have a power source within them that they're not even aware of. And i found in my life, I don't know if you found this in yours, as long as we try to fix everything on our own, and as long as we don't try to bring God into the situations that we face, he will let us. He'll let us. Okay, if you think you've got this, I'll step back. I love you, son, I'm still with you, but okay be a lot easier if you did it my way and if you let me work in and through you, but if you're not gonna do that, and, and what happens in that is eventually we come to the end of ourselves, depleted, spent, empty, worn out, weighted down, and wrought up. <laughs> and we just go, I'm just empty. I'm just, man, the, all the needles are, 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 are gone. There's no fuel in the tank. And all of a sudden, when you're empty, you're in the best place you can be for the Holy Spirit to fill you. Ephesians 6 or 518, he says, don't be drunk with wine where it is excess, but instead be ye being filled. Be constantly being filled with my Holy Spirit. How is a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit? By yielding to his will, to his word. You see, here's what you'll understand. Even God cannot fill what's already full. When I'm full of me, I leave no room for God's spirit to fill me. When I have my mindset and the way I want things done and I'm not involving him in any area of my life, I'm not giving him any place to work. But when I come into his presence and I'm just saying, Lord, I got nothing. I don't know how this is gonna work. I don't know what to do. I'm just empty. Then I'm in a great place for the Holy Spirit to fill me, to give me his power, to give me his wisdom, to help me navigate through the hardest times of life. That's why Paul said if you walk in the Spirit, Ephesians 5, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I've told you before the best way to do what you, the best way to keep from doing what you shouldn't do is to keep doing what you should do. When you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What does that look like? Wake up every day saying, okay God, I'm awake. So you you have a plan. So I wanna, today I wanna fulfill, so I wanna be sensitive to where you're at work around me. And I wanna make good decisions, I wanna say the right thing, I wanna do good works with the time that I've been given. Walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So that was simply the, the power that Paul lived on. Here's the last one when we're done. He found a purpose to live for, a purpose to live for. Philippians 1:21. for to me, Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, the purpose of my life is to fulfill God's purpose for my life, to live as Christ. And can I tell you, as I close this morning, God has a purpose for your life, a plan. And man, once you discover his plan, then the main heart and the drive of your life ought to be to fulfill that purpose that he's given for your life. Remember Ecclesiastes three, do everything there's a season, there's a time, to every purpose under heaven. Life is seasonal, and within the seasons of life, God gives you time because he has purpose. And as long as you are fulfilling purpose, he'll give you time. And when that time is up, he'll call you home. A few hours ago, my mother-in-law stepped into heaven. I'll preach her funeral in the morning. And so as I'm talking to you, once again, I know a little bit about what it's like to have one part of your heart feel a burden while the other part of your heart feels greatly blessed. But she was prepared, she was ready to go. She called me over to her house, staying at her sister's house, Linda and Hardy, who are a big part of our church, volunteer every week in our food pantry. They drive, by the way, from Mansfield to get here Make that drive twice a week. Volunteer for the food pantry and then they'll be here on Sunday for services. Hardly ever miss. I, I wouldn't tell you how old they were. I got in trouble last week. I, had a, I gotta tell you this one. I got a little time on my clock. All right, I have a honey ham delivered to their house because all the family were coming to their house. So I'm telling Shannon and Billy, we need to send some food. So I door dashed them a honey ham. So the honey ham delivery person delivers the honey ham and calls me on the cell phone. Well, I didn't know they had me on speaker phone. So the person comes to the door, I mean the person is standing at the door and I'm thinking the person is saying something to the effect of I'm, I'm uh, wanting to confirm that I'm at the right house or whatever. Well, the TV's on, there's people, you know, it's noisy in the house. So I make the statement, I say, Hey, just keep knocking on the door. They're an elderly couple and they're hard of hearing. Next thing I know, Uncle Hardy says, Bill, I'm standing right here. I gotta thank you. Bill, thanks so much for the turkey from the elderly couple who are hard of hearing. Me and the kids go by there to see her. Uh, sorry, we'd have got to the door, but we're elderly and we're hard of hearing. <laughs> you know how many times I've heard that? I will hear, at my funeral one day, Linda will stand up and say, I was elderly and hard of hearing. I mean, she will not let, if you have that person in your family that you don't want, if you mess up in front of anybody, you don't want it to be that one. It's kind of like Max. You just don't want to mess up in front of them because they will never let you forgive the, I mean, that's just, that's how they roll. All right, now back to my story. <laughs> So I went over to, we we were visiting with them. And so she said, she goes, hey, I need to talk to Bill. So everybody kind of clears out of the room and we help her get over in a chair next to me. And so she reaches over and she held my hand. She goes, you know, I have moments when I'm a little bit afraid. And I told her, I said, I get that. Gosh, we're all afraid. And I told her what I told y'all last week. I said, you know, being afraid means it's not time yet because God says when that time comes, I will fear no evil. You're not there yet. And when that time comes, if that time comes, God's gonna give you so much peace, you're gonna feel his presence, and you're not gonna be afraid. And so in that moment, she said, honey, I want you to do my funeral. I want you to do my service. I said, okay. And she goes, now I want it sad. Remember I told you last week, I want it sad. I said, well, I think it's gonna be sad. We can go check that box. And so we talked a little bit, and I said, well, I said, "Are, are you at peace? She goes, I'm to complete peace. I know I'm going to heaven. And she said, one of the first things I'm going to do, she told me this. She said, I'm going to tell Cindy that you miss her and that uh, you're going to see her again. And I said, man, I, I appreciate that. And we just had this really, you know, a sweet moment with my mother-in-law, <laughs> with all of her stuff. I never told mother-in-law jokes, not just out of respect for her, but out of fear of her. But she did the best she could with the time God had given her. And when his time was over and her purpose was done, around midnight the other night, she slipped from our presence in the presence of her Savior. And I do believe that Jesus welcomed her home. I do believe that Cindy was welcoming her home. It's the hope of heaven. And folks, I just tell you, we're going to be around till that time comes. So let's spend the time we have together with as much joy as we possibly can. This world gets tough, it gets hard, it gets heavy. But guys, in the midst of all that, it's possible to have joy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, never grows old, always hits the mark, it always accomplishes purpose. So I ask now, Lord, that we won't just be a hearer of your word, but we will put it into practice. We'll be a doer of your word. I pray for my friends in the room who may not have the peace that my mother-in-law had. They may not yet have that. There may not have been a moment when they've actually placed their faith in you. So Lord, I ask in this moment that they would simply pray a prayer like this and say, Lord, Jesus, with everything I know about me, I right now trust everything I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.